Awesome, awesome. Uh, our kids can head back to be with our team in Transformation Station uh, this morning. Pray for them. They would have a great time. And uh, the rest of us can open our copy of God's indestructible word to the Gospel of John. We'll be um, in the first chapter. So if you're using one of the Bibles we've provided for you, it will be uh, page 886. 886 there in the, the Bibles we provide. Uh, for you. Uh, well, it's been an eventful weekend around here uh, in Boston. We were down in the city and uh, we actually passed the Ghostbusters. Um, you know, uh, yesterday was Halloween for those of you that missed it. Um, so, uh, yeah, the go- I mean, I tried to shout out, you know, like, who are you going to call? And no one bit on. This one guy gave me like a half thumbs up. It was kind of weak. But, um, but anyway, you know, Halloween, uh, great, uh, great weekend. And uh, we had a good time uh, taking our girls out trick-or-treating uh, in our neighborhood. Met some new neighbors. Always a plus. Uh, praying for, you know, the people around us. And uh, so, so uh, yesterday, of course, was Halloween. And, and I think almost everyone knows that. Um, but what you may not realize is that yesterday was an, another important day known as Reformation Day, all right? And some of you are like, what is that? Well, um, in 1517, there was a man named Martin Luther, and Luther was a part of uh, the Catholic Church that was seeing some inconsistencies in what was practiced and believed in the Catholic Church with what he was reading in Scripture. So uh, his goal was to not depart from the Catholic Church, but to actually reform the Catholic Church. And so he, on October 31st, 1517, uh, he nailed 95 theses to uh, the, the door of uh, Wittenberg uh, Church there um, as a statement for dialogue and debate about these uh, truths that people were, uh, you know, contending for and, and contradicting uh, one another. So, uh, so that was the, the spark of the Reformation. Most historians would say on, on that day, um, it set the course for what was to come. And, and, and Luther was not the only great uh, theologian and, and, and teacher, pastor of uh, the Reformation era. There were many, and uh, one of those men's uh, names was John Calvin. Uh, now, Calvin, uh, one of his classic uh, works is a tome called uh, The Institutes of the Christian Religion. And uh, in the opening words of that work, I didn't realize they were the opening words until actually this week, uh, just a, a little disclaimer, but uh, in, in the opening words to uh, the Institutes, this is what Calvin says, all right? He says this, uh, true and sound wisdom consists in two parts, the knowledge of God and ourselves. True and sound wisdom consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. So, so what is Calvin arguing here? Okay, he's saying if you, if you want to know God rightly and truly, then you actually need to know yourself. But to know yourself rightly and truly, you have to know God. And so there's this kind of um, continual dance that happens as we go deeper into the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves, where as we dive deeper into both the knowledge of God and the knowledge of self, we are are kind of uh, producing this um, greater clarity of both ourselves and God. And so I think the most important questions I could ask us this morning are, 
or these. Um, how, how deeply do you know God and how deeply do you know you? How deeply do you know God? How deeply do you know you? There was a man named John. As we're going to see here in John chapter 1, not the, not the gospel writer John, the, one of the kind of closest disciples of Christ, but, but, but John the Baptist as he's known in church history, or John the witness as Pastor John, sorry for all the Johns, uh, Pastor John explained last week, um, he was a witness. And, and, and how could he be this witness? How could be, he be someone who so consistently pointed people to Christ? Um, I want to argue that it was because he knew who Christ was. He knew who God was, and he knew who he was. And so this morning, I want us to think about what it looks like to live a life that is consistently, day by day, pointing people to Christ. And the outline that I'm going to kind of give us this morning is it's so simple that, that my four-year-old daughter, Kessid, could, could probably remember it, you know, at least for a couple of days. Um, but... but, but it's deep enough that we will never hit the bottom. We, we will never plumb the depths of who we are. And then, well, because we are made in the image of the infinite God for all eternity, we will continue to know him more and more and more. And so I want us to think about this. John the Baptist, John the Witness, um, he, he would have had these songs that we uh, sang together this morning. He would have had those on repeat. You know what I'm saying? Like, Christ be all around me. Let it be Jesus. There, let there be no name higher or louder that is, that is sung than, than Christ. But, but if you're like me, just... Just being honest here today, if you're, if you're like me, there are so many days, there's so many weeks when I am pursuing a thousand other names, a thousand other pursuits, a thousand other, you know, endeavors in life that begin to outweigh my allegiance and affection for Jesus. And so how are we, how are we going to, to be uh, more like John as he's more like Christ to know who he is and who God is? Um, we, we have to grow deeper in our knowledge of both. So number one, number one, what do we, what do we want to do? We want to point others to Jesus by knowing who we are, right? Let's read verses 19 and 20 together. Uh, this is what uh, the gospel writer John writes about uh, John the witness, and he says this. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So here in our passage, we have the the central question that's driving the whole account, okay? Verse 19, they come to him. These were were leaders, the the priests and the Levites. They were those that that, that operated kind of in in the religious, um, you know, system of the day in the temple, and they were were, uh, mediating on behalf of of the people to to God and and vice versa. And so uh, the Levites were were experts in the law, and, and so they were sent on a mission for the leadership in Jerusalem to find out who this guy was. And so they're, a, they're kind of fact finders, they're investigators, they're, they're, they're curious to figure out who John is, and, and why, are they, why are they asking him this question? Well, well here's the deal. Um, 
John was, was serving God in a time where there were many would-be messiahs that were kind of popping up all over Israel. And so he was, he was a charismatic person, okay? He was, he was one who spoke authoritatively to the people. And so it was a natural question to wonder, could, could, could this man be the Messiah? But I love what, what John uh, says about John. Look, look back at verse 20, how forceful it is. It's he confessed, which, which would be sufficient, uh, but it's he confessed and did not deny which is even stronger, but then it's, it's he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not. I am not the Christ. I said, well, John, if you're not the Christ, then are you, are you Elijah? This is a question kind of rooted in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, where the Malachi is going to proceed. I mean, Elijah is going to proceed the, the great day of the Lord where the Messiah would come and restore uh, the hopes of Israel, kind of release them from their current tyranny under Rome and, and bring the restoration of, of God's plan the prophets had foretold. And John the Baptist says, I'm, I'm not Elijah. Well, okay, we missed there. Like, what about the prophet? Deuteronomy 18, 15. There's going to be a prophet that's raised up, and, and, and I will put my words in his mouth, and you will listen to him. Are you the prophet? John says, no, I'm not. I'm not the prophet. And so it's almost getting kind of comical here, you know? I mean, just, you know, John, like, guessing game, the Christ, no. no. Uh, Elijah, um, what about the prophet? No. And so they're just kind of worn out with it, you know. They, they continue on in verse 22. So they said to him, who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? So John the Baptist says, you want to know who I am? I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the path of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah has said. These were momentous words that came out of John's mouth. Because John, John was kind of the set-up man for Messiah. He, he was the one that was going to, to, to make the, the hearts of the people ready through his message of, of who God is and how he wants us to live our lives. John was preparing the way for Christ to come in and speak words of truth and gain the following that he so richly deserves. And so this passage that we already read this morning, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 and 4, let's read them again. Uh, it says, in the wilderness, uh, a voice is crying, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. What is all of that about? Well, we're, we're Bostonians, we, we travel right? I mean, anyone love a traffic jam? No. I mean, there's, there's, only, there's only one thing worse than a traffic jam, and that is a traffic jam with a couple of detours added on just, just for the fun of it. You know what I'm saying? So, so we, love, we love our Medford, you know, Medford Square. Um, we, we have the Craddock Bridge development that's kind of happening right now. And we have to show the Craddock Bridge some love, you know. But when it's 5 o'clock traffic 
and you're stuck on 16 and you just kind of want to like, I shouldn't say this in a sermon, but like you kind of want to do that kind of skip over the little traffic, kind of like take that, that shortcut where you can cut off a couple minutes, not stand in line. Um, don't, don't do as I, you know, do as I say, not as I do. Um, but it's just, it's just kind of it's frustrating, right? And so what John is, is doing is he's, he's saying, look, we're taking away the curves. Uh, we're not going up cliffs with, with like, no shoulders on. Like, we're just going to try to make this as quick and as cleanly as possible. If you'll listen to my message, you will be ready to hear from the Messiah. John was the forerunner of Christ. He wanted people to get to him as quickly and cleanly as possible. And so we have to understand what, what made John the witness so effective was that he, he knew who God was but, but, and is and will be, but he, he also knew who he was. This is, what, this is what made him so effective in ministry. We can't operate in the fullness of who God has made us to be until we know who we are before him. And so let me give you two, just I think, profound reasons why this is so important. Number one, knowing our true identity frees us from idolatry. What is, what is idolatry? Idolatry is, is simply raising up in our devotion, our kind of commitment, allegiance, affections, loves. It's, it's raising up anything to a competing a place above where Christ should always be in our lives. So we're really good at making these kind of idols for ourselves. We call them money and power and, 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 and relationships and sex and, and pleasure and all of these different pursuits, these idols that so readily creep up into our lives. But, but one of the greatest idols that we have to battle every single day is the idol of ourselves. The idol of self from the very beginning of existence people the, the first the first man and one woman adam and eve um, they were they were tempted by the snake just go back and read genesis 1 through 3 they were tempted by the snake deceived by him to deviate from god's plan by trying to become like god and this is the same story on repeat this is what we're doing today god i've got this i like, I've, I've got i've got this one figured out god i, I like don't need to listen to you. God is really good at being God. He doesn't doesn't need our help. Maybe you can identify with this. Um, When I get stressed out, I'm a pretty laid back guy. Those of you who know me, I like pretty laid back. I get stressed from time to time. I start to worry, you know. I get, I get a little agitated by what's happening maybe around me. And, 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 and so what, what I find in these moments of, of maybe greater weakness, and we all have these, is, is, is what, I, what I'm trying to do in, in those moments is I am trying to be I am. 
Some of you know what I'm talking about. Like, what does that mean? I am trying to be I am. Well, let's go back to Exodus chapter 3, the second book of the Bible. And Moses is called by God to lead the people out of oppression in Egypt. And so he's, he's, he's like, this task is too tall for me, God. I don't really know if, if I can be about this. And, and God says, look, you, you need to be about it. I'm going to equip you for the work. And so Moses then asked this question to God. He says, um, if, if, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is your name, God? What shall I say to them? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. You go back and you tell them, I am sent you to do this task. And so what God is saying here, this is, this is God's name, I am, is, is that he is. Now, I want you to just think about that this week. God is. God always has been is. He's always existed. He's self-existent. He, he's independent. He's not created. I am so different than you. I call the shots. I'm in charge. I am. And yet I try to be like him. I try to be him. And so these, these three words are so powerful when John, just the first words, John the Baptist would have been, you know, a, a good Bostonian. He just tells it like it is. He just comes right out with it in your face. I am not. And that's, that's how I want to like, I am not. I am not God. I am not designed to, to, to have, I have some knowledge and strength, but even that comes from God, but, but, but like God has all knowledge and strength. We, we, we exist because we are created by him. We are dependent on him. He is, he is independent and self-existent. This is who God is, and this is who the Son of God is, Jesus Christ. So, so we need to hear these words, I am not, and as we travel our way through the gospel of John, we need to hear these statements where Jesus is going to echo Exodus and he's going to say, I am, I am, I am, I am, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. I am the resurrection and the life. And oh, by the way, in John chapter eight, there's kind of an eighth one there. He just says before Abraham was, I am. (laughs) Wow. Wow. We get ourselves in trouble when we try to do God's job. It's the idolatry of self. And let me just give as a quick aside, because this is so helpful. Um, not only do we lift ourselves up, but, but we are so good at lifting others up to be God in our lives. I know that's strong, but, but, but I just want you to think about it. Do, do you know why people uh, disappoint you? Like, 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 not just at times disappoint us, but, but why they, like, devastate us. It's because we were holding them up on a higher pedestal than, than they belonged. We were, we were treating them, we were finding our hope in them. We were hoping that they would supply only what God can provide. And so, the only thing that's, that's keeping that pedestal from tumbling to the ground is, is time, Right? It's coming down if we hold people up in that way. So, so we must not idolize ourselves. We must not idolize other people. 
Knowing who we are frees us up from this idolatry. And, and then also knowing who we are frees us up to worship. We were made to worship God, not these other uh, uh, pursuits, idols in our lives. And so we have, to, we have to see that we are not Christ, that we are not I am. And, and, and that will free us up to embrace who he is. Because until we see our need, we're never going to go to him to receive what he has to offer us. This is what Calvin went on to say in those opening pages of of the Institutes. He, He says this, We cannot seriously aspire to him before we begin to become displeased with ourselves. Accordingly, the knowledge of ourselves not only arouses us to seek God, but also, as it were, leads us by the hand to find him. If we do not become displeased with, like, I don't have it all together here. I'm I'm not sufficient in myself to make my way to God in my own strength. If we say, I've got this, then, then, then we are still in that realm of what the Bible calls unbelief. Trusting in ourselves rather than trusting in who God is and what he has done for us. And so the, the, the call to us is to look to him, to see our need for him, and then to look to him to give us what only he can give. This is why I want you to think about it. The, the very first words of Jesus in his most famous sermon are what? Blessed are the poor. The poor in spirit. Those who, who see that, that they have nothing to offer God in and of themselves. The ones who, who, who go for a drink are the ones who realize they've been drinking out of desert puddles and they, they need something that will satisfy them. And this is what Jesus offers us. And so John understood this. I mean, just, just read with me uh, verses 24 through 28. Uh, it goes on to say, Now they had been sent from the Pharisees and they asked him, they continue to interrogate John the witness. They say, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And so it's it's hard for us to grasp how strong this is. Okay, I know like no one loves feet. Uh, I mean, unless you're kind of strange. Um, No one really loves like... (laughs) So, so if you ask me to take off your shoes, I might do it because I love you. But, but in the first century, this would have been a despicable task, only reserved for the slave. John's saying, I'm, I'm, not even, I'm not even worthy of a slave's task. In comparison to him. John knew who he was, which enabled him to point to Christ. And then secondly, he, he was so able to point to Christ because he knew who Christ was. Some of you may be asking, if, if we point to others by knowing who Christ is, then how can we, how can we know who he is? 
And we can know who he is, as John explained last week, because God has revealed himself to us. He's not hiding. He's not playing hide and seek with us, okay? He has revealed himself. He has made himself known in creation, and especially in Christ, and in the word of Christ, which is contained in these 66 books. So, so as verse 18, back up to verse 18 of chapter 1, it says this, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus makes God known. Jesus is God's full self-disclosure. And so what John is going to tell us as he wraps this witness up is that if you want to know God, you have to behold Christ. It's, it's knowing by beholding. So check out verses 29 through 34 with me. This is what it says. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me. Why, John? Because he was before me. Now, John the Baptist physically was born before Jesus, but but John is making the same claim that Jesus made in John 8, that before Abraham was, he was. It's good stuff. I myself did not know him. But for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water and said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. John says, if if you want to know Christ, then you need to behold who he is. And what what does it mean to behold? We just need to stop here. And and we need to, to linger here because that's what it means to behold. This is, this is not a, a quick glance. It, it, is, it is a gaze. It is to be fixed on who he is in a way that, that, that piques our interest and produces wonder that, that we would know more of who he is. So we are locked in on Christ because he is so glorious and amazing and, and wonderful. You know that we live in a culture of quick takes. We live in a culture of glances. We live in the, the world of the two-minute video, right? And so it's so hard for us to pause. It's so hard for us to stop. Even right now, I wonder if some of you are thinking, like, let's get on with the dramatic pauses, Tanner, like lunch is coming. And, and, and isn't, it, isn't it how it works? Like, lunch is more important than, than lingering? When we see something that, that is captivating, right, then we'll just, we'll just stay there. 
the beautiful sunset, the, the, the amazing meal that, that, that we enjoy, the, 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 great, the great artistry or athleticism that, that we love to behold. Like not, not watching that once, not listening to that once, not checking that out once. Again and again and again, just coming back to, to, to know, know it more. So John says, behold, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The, the people who were hearing this, the Jews, they would, they would have not missed the overtones of sacrifice when John says that Jesus is the Lamb of God. You see, in the Old Testament, the sacrificial system, they, they would sacrifice a lamb that belonged to them and, and offered it up as a gift of sacrifice. And why was that? Well, it's because, as we see in Genesis 1 through 3, as we just mentioned a little bit earlier, that, that sin leads to death and separation from God. So we're talking about physical death one day, 100% of us, unless Jesus returns, going to die. So, so it is physical death, and it is spiritual death that sin brings. And so in order for our sin to be reversed and for life to become uh, ours in the place of death, then something or someone has to die. And so in the Old Testament, it was this sacrificial system that that they would offer up these lambs and they would provide temporary atonement, meaning covering over of our sin. Can't can't see our sin is, is dealt with temporarily, but it was never designed to deal with completely. Because there was a true and greater sacrifice coming. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Okay? The Lamb of God. Not provided by people, but provided by God himself. This isn't, this isn't like, you know, they were supposed to bring the spotless lamb as a, as a picture of the perfect lamb that was coming. But these were, these were only, these were only just, just physical lambs that people were offering. But God sent his son to be the sacrifice so that we would not have to experience the consequences of our sin, death, judgment, condemnation, wrath, hell. And so for all who behold Christ, we can have our sin dealt with, our sin removed, our sin taken away. So that we can then receive the greatest gift, and that is the gift of God himself to be brought back into a relationship with the God who made us for himself. So Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away sin, and he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I just love this, okay? Jesus' death was not for a few select people. It was not for a certain kind of people. It was for all kinds of people from all different groups scattered across the world. And so I know our church is representative of our city in large part, and we want that to be increasingly true. But just as kind of, uh, as, as a church that is part of the American church, I think we need to hear that God is not an American God. In 1900, Africa had 10 million Christians. Guess what? Guess how many today? 360 million. Um, What about China? Today, there are nearly as many Christians in China as in the U.S. 
What about, what about missionaries being sent out? I mean, are, are we the kind of greatest, greatest missions, you know, sending agency? Well, the global south, okay, South America and Africa and, and, and Asia, um, they're sending more, more missions. Brazil, for example, sends out more missionaries every year than Britain and Canada combined. God is not an American God. And so we want to be a church that is, that is filled with, with all kinds of people. The, the people that Jesus hung out with, thieves and prostitutes and, and, and sin, sinners. We want to welcome them in so that God would, would, would perhaps change them like he's changed sinners. And he's still changing us. Jesus, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is so good. And Jesus is the Lamb who reveals the glory of God. Jesus is the Lamb who reveals the glory of God. And I know you're thinking, I mean, Tanner, man, you and John and John, you're always talking about glory. And so here, here we go again. I don't even see it in the text. There's no, the glory, the word glory isn't there. Glory is all over this passage, okay? When Jesus, when, when Jesus showed up and John understood who he was, j- just a few, okay? And they're just right here in this paragraph in case you missed them. Okay, better existence. Before, before John was, Jesus was. He has, he has a better, better existence. That's, that's not bad. Um, what about a better powerful ministry, for ministry? I mean, no one had ever experienced the Spirit of God in the way that Jesus did because the Spirit comes down and he dwells on Christ and he empowers everything everything about his life and ministry. And now, oh, by the way, for those of us who are in Christ, we have the same reality in us, dwelling in us to empower our every move and breath. Um, Jesus had a better power for ministry. He had a better gift to offer. John would just baptize people with water as a symbol of what was to come. But Jesus baptizes with the Spirit to make us brand new from the inside out. And so now when we baptize people, like we did a couple of weeks ago, like we're going to do on December 6th, we are picturing forth what God has done in making someone who is dead, spiritually alive now in Christ. Better existence, better power for ministry, better gifts, and better identity. Jesus was and is the Son of God. And so might, might I ask you, is all of that glorious? I hope you're saying that's quite glorious, but, but it doesn't end there. Because when, when John was that voice crying in the wilderness, he was, he was saying, make, make straight a path. And, and why? Because verse 5 goes on to say what? And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So when Jesus arrives on the scene, the very glory of God is arriving on the scene. To see Christ clearly is to see him who is dazzling bright. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus is, we think about light, okay, just bear it with me. John eight twelve. I am the light of the world. And we think like, oh yeah, lights. 60 watt bulbs in my bed, bedroom, that's light. Christ's light is like, as, as one song says, it's like a million suns ablaze. 
the light of Christ is overwhelming. So what, what does this mean? This is what it means for us. We have to behold in such a way that we linger there long enough to take in just how beautiful he is. Do, do, do you ever uh, wake up in the morning or maybe the middle of the night and you, you have to go into the kitchen or the bathroom and you, and you turn on the light? And, and what, what happens? You just Your eyes are squinting and your pupils are going crazy and it's like you're just trying to, you're trying to adjust to the light that has just been flowing through your, your retinas and however, however that works. That works, right? So, 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 so this is what one of my friends says about this reality of gazing into the glory of Christ. This is what he says. He says, you have to, to linger long enough to let your eyes adjust. That's good. Linger long enough to let your eyes adjust to behold Christ. And when we behold him, this is, this is so helpful. When, when we behold Christ for, for who he is and, and what he's done... Um, what, what we will be compelled to do is, 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 is like what we're compelled to do with every other thing that we love in our lives. Something that, that captivates us, something that moves us, something that we get excited about. It's hard to not talk about what moves us, right? And so the, the witness that, that John uh, displays here, um, he is just a lesser light pointing to the greatest light, the true light. We, 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 because we are beholding the glory of Christ, we want to bring others into that delight and joy. And so we talk about that which we love. But, but, but I, I know it can be awkward, right? I know, I know it can be like, man, what are they going to think about me? And, and man, in my workplace, am I kind of like maybe going to step over a line even though I'm at lunch and it's not a big deal, um, even though it's a huge deal. Um, but but as, we, as we sometimes say here at Redemption Hill, love moves past awkward. When, when, we are, when we are captivated by the glory of Christ and the love of Christ fills our hearts, then, then we, will, we will love people more than we care about awkwardness or about our own reputation or about you know, how they are going to view us when we come into work the next day. We are pointers. We are pointing people to Christ. Parents are pointers for their children. Friends are pointers for their other friends. Coworkers are pointers to their other coworkers. Neighbors are pointers. Peers, classmates are pointers. Spouses are pointers. And we are pointing to him with our words and with our lives. Now, now here's the good news. When we behold Christ, we become like Christ. Because you, you become like that which you behold. You, you are who you worship. Just go read Psalm 115. It just spells it out. So, so when, we, when we behold Christ, light, life, grace, truth become, begins to, to characterize our lives. And, and I love this. God, God will not relent until he makes us like the one we are beholding. So, so let, me, let me end with this. Um, the, the call here is to point others 
and 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 and, and we all we all struggle with this, right? I struggle with this. I, I need your prayers to become a better pointer in my neighborhood when I'm out and about doing my thing. I want to be someone that's every day has this on my mind and praying about it, point others to who Christ is. And so, so, so God taught me a lesson this week about this very thing. Um, we, we at Redemption Hill, we, we consider ministry is, is a team effort. And so um, there's a new software application that's called Slack that is built for teams to communicate with one another, okay? So, so we use Slack to communicate with one another uh, about things that are happening in our church. Now, sometimes you can send just a direct message, all right? So if I need to tell Pastor Reddy something, I'll just DM him on Slack, and that's that, and we're all good, okay? But, but one of the nice features is this. You can create channels where not only can I talk to Pastor Reddy, but I can talk to, to Pastor Jody, that's John Chastain, in case you didn't know, and, and I can talk to, you know, Kevin Sanders, our church planting apprentice, and, and we can talk about Sunday worship, and we can talk about pastoral care, and we can talk about, you know, administrative needs, and this and that, and so, so I had the great idea two months ago to create two new channels. I wanted to create a channel for prayer. What a, what a great idea, um, and I wanted to create a channel that's called, you have to be kind of concise with this, so this was just called Celebrate. Because not only are you, you are who you behold, but you are what you celebrate, some have said. So, so I was like, man, we need to talk about what we, we need to celebrate, you know, as a team to kind of keep, keep us focused on what really matters. So, so you know, I, I drop a couple posts, September 15th, you know, September 29th, um, October 10th. And I'm just, I'm, just kind of, I'm just kind of in there, just in that channel, and I'm, I'm kind of concerned. I'm starting to pray for my other pastors, like, these guys don't want to pray. They, they, they don't want to celebrate with me. And so, you know, I'm not voicing this, but I'm kind of starting to pray for them, you know. And, just, and so, so, so then this week, this week, we're hanging out, and, and I kind of bring it up, you know, like, hey, you know, like, just drop something on the prayer channel, you know. And, and, and the response is this, like, what's that? What are you talking about, man? Prayer champ, celebrate? And so what I discovered is this. I created a channel, but I never invited them into the channel. <laughs> you, have to, you have to send the invitation for them to jump on board with the channel. And so let us be those that don't hang out in this channel. This is a nice channel, by the way. The Chevalier Theater is not a bad channel, but I'm just seeing a lot of empty space out here. I wonder if it's because we're not inviting people. Like, we are, like, all the more, all the more, let's point people to Christ. As we behold his glory and we become more like who he is in his glory, let's bring others into that delight that they might know and celebrate with us how great he is. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for what an amazing God you are. We are not, you are. So Father, I pray that, that we would be moved by your spirit to live your word with all of our hearts. God, I, I pray for, for those that may be just kind of 
starting to gaze at the glory of Christ and their eyes are really, really uh, squinty and, and they're curious and they're discovering, um, Lord, I pray that you would, that you would uh, just, just open their eyes to see how amazing you are and that they would, like many of us, uh, choose to, to experience the life, the light that he offers them. God, I pray for all of us so there's not one of us in here who do not need to behold Christ day by day, grow in him. And so, Father, would you help us to behold that we might become and we might bring others into this joy. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.